Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize that we can do nothing without you. You said the same thing about your father. That you do what he, you see him do. You also told us that we could do nothing without you. And so this morning we thank you that you've helped us and you continue to help us to offer to you the praise and the worship uh, that is you are so worthy of. We thank you that during these times as we find ourselves in places of your presence that your Holy Spirit speaks to us, that you minister to us, you reveal to us. We also thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the gift of the word of God in written form that is illuminated by your Holy Spirit. And as we, this, during this time, as we open up your word, we take a look at the scriptures, we pray that our minds would be open, our ears would be open, receptive, our hearts would be fertile ground, and that your Holy Spirit would certainly speak to each one of us under the sound of my voice today. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate that. We are concluding this uh, short series under the banner, under the umbrella of preparing God's people for the mission field of life, which is once again, uh, the outline for the last four sermons is on the front page of your bulletin, but preparing God's people for the mission field of life and, uh, and so today we've entitled this message, uh, Practically Demonstrating God's Love. And so we have gone through the last few weeks this acronym that is also on the front page of your bulletin, REAP. And uh, uh, looking at this as the identification of the DNA of Abundant Life Church. And all of this is under the premise that, as George has spoken, that we would pray and see a move of God's Holy Spirit uh, and that there would be a harvest of people, a harvest of souls. I pray every church, and I can pray worldwide, but I'll just limit it to Middle Tennessee, would experience a harvest of souls, lost souls, a harvest of unchurched coming back uh, to being part of a family, a harvest of people who have known a relationship with Christ, but have it has waned and it has grown lukewarm. And you know what Jesus said about being lukewarm. And so, in the in the uh, the sum total of that is, what are you going to do with a harvest if you see one? What are you going to do with a harvest if you begin to see people on top of people and people cramming into places to to worship and hear the word of God? And so we felt like that as Abundant Life Church, we have a responsibility, as other, other local congregation does, a responsibility to be able to plan for the harvest. And I said from the very outset, and I feel no different today, the most important component we have for gathering together and, and uh, managing, and I hate even using that word, but managing the harvest is not this right here. This is not it. It's our small groups. And if we're going to see growth and if we're going to see discipling take place, if we're going to see people develop in the Lord, 
It's not Sunday morning service is going to do that. It's small groups. And so if you're not in a small group, I, I encourage you to find one. Well, you got plenty of opportunities. You're just looking at bulletin. You got plenty of opportunities. And that, you know, that, that can come under several headings. But we began this acronym, uh, looking at reaching out to the lost and the unchurched in our community. And once again, I'm not going to review these. These are available on audio and video. Uh, and then we moved on to equipping and discipling God's people to do the work of the ministry. If God's people do not take on the role and the mission of equipping, then it's not going to get done. If you're waiting on the clergy to do it, there's only so many of us. And by the way, it's not our primary responsibility. Our being clergy. And then last week we talked about anointed praise and worship that exalts the Lord Jesus Christ and sets the captives free. We felt like this was a very important component of who Abundant Life Church is and who we are and what our DNA is. And then today we cover the last of the acronym, and that is practical demonstrations to one another of God's love towards us. Uh, I think Phil alluded to it recently. Uh, some time ago, I did a series entitled One Anothering. And as a matter of fact, I went back and looked, and I was shocked to learn or to be reminded that it was 10 years ago. <laughs> Seems like it was last year. But 10 years ago, I did a series on one anothering. And so a lot of what I'd like to cover today, I've already covered in that series. And if you want to get a hold of that series, uh, Cheryl's not here today, so we'll talk about her. <clears throat> Let, just get in touch with her, and she can either make you CDs or she can put it on a flash drive for you. We have no cassette tapes. Sorry. <laughs> but in that series, I dealt with most of the places in the Bible when it said one another, forgive one another, love one another, honor one another. Just I went through a whole lengthy discourse uh, over several Sundays, by the way. So some of that was there, and I'm, I'm going to dip just a little bit into that today. Um, but we're going to finish out this acronym with the summation of it all. And I say this is the summation because when you start talking about practical demonstration, you start talking about uh, uh, your uh, effort towards one another as the body of Christ, we have to remember these three verses. I don't have a slide, but you've got to memorize. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become sounding brass or a clang. I've just become a bunch of noise. Though I have the gift of prophecy. Woo! Get excited when people want to prophesy, don't we? And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Though I have all faith. So that I could remove mountains. Now, did you hear what he just wrote? I'm I'm not going to go there. But have not love, I am nothing. And then the third verse of that same, this is 1 Corinthians 13, by the way. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Sometimes we think the sum total of our Christian experience is if we can feed the poor, if we can do good things for poor people. I hope we understand that's what we're supposed to do. 
I said recently, somebody reminded me that I said some time ago that one of the reasons America, I think, is still being blessed today. If we, there's two main reasons, and one is that we, by and large, take care of our poor. And secondly, we're still an ally with the nation of Israel. And the last one makes me more nervous than the first one, as far as what some of our, anyway... Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So when we talk about practically demonstrating God's love, it's not about exercising. It's not about just going through the motion. It's not about getting gold stars in Sunday school. It's not about meeting a quota. It's about extending true agape. Love or agape that isn't demonstrated, isn't really God's love. Love that isn't demonstrated, it really isn't. For God so loved the world that he, he, thought, he thought good things about us. For God so loved the world that he smiled. He gave. He demonstrated is agape by sending the Son. And we have to see that in what in agape. Well, what love are we talking about? What is agape? And, I, you know, again, I've done this so much, y'all probably get tired of hearing it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a quote. If you've been listening to me any amount of time, you've heard this several times. When I was a teenager, someone advised me to purchase a W.E. Vines New Testament Expository Dictionary. It's about that thick. And that's just the New Testament. And uh, I still have that book. It's back there in my library, in my office. And from that book, and, and with a little bit of paraphrasing, a little mixing in, I, I have developed this statement. You've seen it. Any, if you've been here any time, you've seen it. But if you probably like me that you leak. But here's what W.E. Vines has to say about love can be known only from the actions that it prompts. I hate to even use a beer commercial for an example in a sermon. <laughs> but some of you remember years ago, there was a commercial with a couple of guys sitting on a dock fishing. And one of them said to the other one, I love you, brother. He said, that's good, but you're still not getting my Bud Light. I mean, maybe they should have had a Dr. Pepper commercial. I don't know. <laughs> Love can be known only by the actions that it prompts. The demonstration of God's love is seen in the gift of his son. I just mentioned that. But obviously, this is not the love of complacency or affection. Now, there is a love of affection. And if you, if you walk in true agape, you're going to be, you're going to experience affection. By that I mean it was not drawn out by any excellency in its objects. I mean, I, I hate to bust your bubble. There wasn't anything in you that drew out God's love. He didn't look down in you and say, well, that, there's some, I, I think I love that one. No. Look, God loves you not because of you, because of God. There's nothing in any of us that, that attracted God to a certain degree that he could say, I think I can love that person. No. He looked at us, and he looked at himself, and his own character said, I'm going to love them anyway. Did you, say, did you hear the anyway part? Yeah. 
Well, I better get moving. We'll be here at 1.30. It was an exercise of the divine will in deliberate choice. Made with a signable cause except that which lies, I just said that, in the nature of God himself. Christian love or agape, whether exercised toward the brethren or toward men and women generally, is not an impulse from feelings. It does not always run with natural inclinations, nor does it spend itself only upon those for whom we have some affinity. I just read that so that we understand what we're talking about when we talk about practically demonstrating God's love. It has to come into that in the parameters of what agape truly is. Because you extend agape to people you don't even like. Come on now. There's people you go to church with that you don't like. Look, everybody start looking around. There's people I don't like. Somebody said, I wonder if that's me. Here's the key. True agape extended to another person will always result in direct benefit to that person. You know, you, I've used the example recently about when you see a child running out into the street and they're taking off down and you, you go out and tackle them. And they got blood all over them. They're skinned all up. They're crying because they're hurt. And, you know, some of the modernists would say, well, you don't love your child. You hurt your child. No, that's love. It's for the direct benefit of that child that you tackled them before they got into the street and got run over. We have, we have made love romantic. We have made love always, and it is this sometimes, uh, mushy and gushy and syrupy and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's not what agape is. Whatever you do towards another person, is something, and we'll talk about it in a moment, sometimes that's a, a correction or something or a, or a confronting word. It's for their benefit, for their direct benefit. Lord help us. Turn to John 13. Let's read some of those letters in red y'all were talking about, but not in the bulletin. John 13, just going to read a few verses. Um, if you would stand while I read these few verses uh, from the English Standard Version. It says, when he, which is Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while while, while I'm with you, you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You can be seated. This whole, this whole notion of practical demonstrations 
to, of God's love towards one another that he has towards us is rooted in verses 34 and 35. It has to be born out of the word of God. He says, a new commandment I give you. And then he starts, he starts saying some words that are familiar to them. And so he, he mentions, and, and they would know, they're good Jews, and they would know that he's quoting Deuteronomy 6, 5, when it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then Leviticus 19 says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So he's telling them this, and, and I'm sure they're sitting there wondering. Peter probably had his hand raised. Uh, you got it messed up, Jesus. That's not a new commandment. We've had that for thousands of years. But Jesus said it's a new commandment. Why is it new? I'll tell you why it's new. The standard. Notice what he notice what he puts in there that's not anywhere else. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Well, that's Leviticus 19, 18. But then he says this, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. The standard. What's the standard? Is how Jesus has loved us. And we are to love one another. We are to agape one another the way Jesus has agaped us and continues to. And he says, Jesus' love to his disciples was self-abandoning and it was self-sacrificial. It was beyond self. It was without even taking himself in consideration. I'll read a verse after a while to that effect. You are, he said, you are to love one another. Once again, if it's not demonstrated, it's not really God's love. You can't have my Bud Light. I can't, I'm going back to the beer commercial. Stay sober. But then he says, verse 35, all people, I like that part, all people will know. All people will know that you are my disciples. All people will know you're my disciples if you have agape one for another. Albert Barnes is a commentary I like to refer to. It's, that is your love for each other, he says, shall be so decisive evidence that you are like the Savior that all people shall see and know it. It shall be the thing by which you shall be known among all men. You shall not be known by special, special rights or habits not by a special form of dress or manner of speech, not by special austerities and unusual customs. We think people see us as Christians because of the way we look or the way we dress or if we learned a good version of Christianese. That's not what they're looking for. What they're looking for is to see do we love one another? And they can't see that we love one another unless there's a demonstration. If you have love for one another. John in his first letter said, He who does not love his brother or sister, 
whom he has seen cannot, say cannot, love God whom he has not seen. Jesus is not saying, or, or John is not writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that if you don't love your brother, that, that you, God's not going to allow you. What he's saying is if you cannot love your brother that you've seen, you will not have the ability to love God whom you have not seen. Well, I love God, but I don't like his kids. Well, I don't like a lot of his kids either. And sometimes I don't like his kid that's in the mirror. This commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God, can you say must? That's not an option. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Do we understand that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has just issued a commandment? And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then he said, you must, it's a commandment, love your brother. Which once again tells us, has nothing to do with feelings. Has nothing to do with how I feel about somebody. It's something to do with a decision that I make. Okay, we got that settled. Serving one another. And that's a broad, broad topic. Serving one another. Galatians, Paul writes, says, do not use your freedom, your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through agape, serve one another. Through love, extend yourself. In other words, don't, don't be occupied with yourself, with your flesh, but extend yourself beyond your flesh to, to one another. Now, I'm going to ask you to turn to one more passage, and I'm not going to watch to see if you do or you don't. Galatians 6, uh, that's, I think this is the last one. If it's not, uh, then you just have to say bad things about me. Galatians 6, the first 10 verses is so apropos to what we're talking about. And I'm not going to ask you to stand this time, but just uh, follow along. Brothers, and by the way, that... Almost always when you see that word, it's usually anthropos, which means men and women. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and let, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. 
Serving one another is not always just going and mowing somebody's grass. It is that, but it's not, it's not limited to that. In this case, Paul writes that one of the things we can do to serve one another, he said, if anyone is caught in any transgression, restore him or her, restore them. And it's interesting that the word there, caught in any transgression, is not like uh, you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar. <laughs> so we don't have a cookie jar at our house. I'll just get them right out of the pack. <laughs> Skip the cookie jar. Now, it's not that kind of caught. It's it's overtaken. It's uh, it's a. Uh, Surprised, actually, is one of the meanings of the word. They're surprised by the fault. In other words, you see a brother or sister who is living their life. They've allowed themselves to get into a place with people or things just a little bit into an area they shouldn't be. And before they realize it, they're boom, they're caught into something. It's your responsibility as a brother or sister in Christ to restore that person. Not to wag the finger. But to restore, he said, restore. And, and the word there is a, is a word that means this, like the setting of bones, like a broken arm, you set the bones, or a mending of nets. That's agape, folks. Now, I must hasten to add, you don't run up to somebody at the bus stop or the airport or, or Walmart and say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix you. <laughs> now, you might get, you might pull back a nub. There needs to be a context of relationship before you go doing this. He says, you who are spiritual. Well, that sort of eliminates me. You can quit reading. (laughs) You're spiritual. You know why you're spiritual? It's not because you're good. I hate to bust your bubble. It's not because you know a lot of stuff. But it's because you are spiritual because you have been born again by the Spirit. Born from above. By the Holy Spirit. And you are now a spiritual being. Because the one, if it's a brother or sister, the one caught in transgression, they're also spiritual. But right now, they need help being reminded of that. Paul writes to the Romans, we who are strong have an obligation. Did you hear the word? Obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. We have met the enemy, and he is us. The biggest enemy we have is not the devil. He's already been whipped. The biggest enemy we have, and I referred to it earlier, is that in the mirror. And he goes on to say, don't don't just restore, but restore in a spirit of gentleness. You know how you restore, or how you can restore in a spirit of gentleness? Because you're doing it with their concern, with their benefit in mind. You're not doing it to make yourself look good or to set yourself up so you can be superior to somebody because as soon as you try to do that, you have now degraded yourself. But you do it in a spirit of gentleness because you care. You're redemptive. But he also gives a warning. Watch yourself that you don't get caught in the same trap. How many of you understand it it matters where you go? It matters what you do. It matters who you associate with. It matters what you think. It matters what you read. It matters what movies you watch. Oh, boy, you're getting to meddling now. Hey, I got a license. 
back there on the wall. And he says, bear one another's burdens. That's agape. Someone's under a weight. I don't mean that they've gained weight. We'd all be in trouble, most of us. But they are, they, they're carrying around a, a weight, a ball and chain, something. It's our responsibility, our obligation as brothers and sisters in Christ. If we care, and you got to do it because you care, not because you want to wag the finger and say, boy, I saw what you did. Yeah, what you did. I saw what you did too. No, it's not that. It's that you would help one another and you would help someone to carry that weight, to be relieved of that, of that burden. Now, let me just hasten to, to stick this in here. Verse five uh, returns, make sure we return to personal responsibility. Did you see what verse five said? Of course you did. I just read it to you. Each will have to bear his own load. So none of this, everybody else carrying my load for me without any, any on my part. See, we're told to bear one another's burdens, but we're also told to bear our own load. Which one is right? Yes. They're both right. Do not grow weary in doing good. If you're doing good for the right reason, you won't grow weary. If you're doing good to be seen, if you're doing good to impress, if you're doing good to receive a notoriety, then you're going to get weary in doing good. But if you're doing good because of the right reasons, you won't grow weary. Because in due season, in due season, you know what that means? Not now. <laughs> due season, not now. In due season, you will reap. Don't give up, he says. Don't give up. Don't stop. You keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. And don't grow weary in it. And every time you have an opportunity, do good to everyone. But here's what I like about this verse. Do good to everyone, but especially, everybody say especially. Especially to those who are of the household of faith. So are we, do we cease doing good to those outside the church? Absolutely not. But we start inside the church. We start doing good to those who are of the household of faith. And then we graduate to those outside the household of faith. Now, I'm going to just stick this in here because I know the thought just went something. It's not like you're sitting around and you see someone outside the church who has a need and you think to yourself, well, I can't go help them. I haven't helped anybody in the church yet. No, it's not a law. He also says that we would build up one another. We Christians tear each other down enough. We need to build one another up. Again, back to Paul writing to the Romans, let each of us Please his neighbor for his good. For his good. The neighbor's good to build him up. Please his neighbor to build him up. And watch this, the next verse. For Christ did not please himself. And I've told you this dozens of times. There is not one account in the scripture that Christ ever did anything for himself. 
There was never one self-centered moment in his life that we can find recorded. And the reason you can't find it recorded is because it doesn't exist. And Paul tells us right here, he did not please himself for as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you, the father, fell on me, the son. Selfless is who Jesus is. And if we're going to extend agape in a practical way to one another, uh, then we build one another up disregarding ourself. Not, not, mm, not putting ourselves down. Oh, what is it that C.S. Lewis said? I can't remember. He also says, and this is, you don't think of this as agape or as practically demonstrating agape, offering admonishment and correction. Now, let me just at the outset say this. This is not an opportunity for you to become the boss. This is not an opportunity for you to become someone who can boss somebody around. This is not an opportunity for you to set yourself up over someone because if you approach someone in the right spirit, in the right attitude, and you see a moment that needs to be corrected, you, you'll you come with a different attitude. You'll speak the truth, but you'll speak it in love. In other words, you'll speak the truth with their best interest in mind, not your position or how you look. It's them. It's them. He says you'll be able, Romans 15, to admonish one another. If we can't, you know, don't judge, don't you judge me. That's the motto today. Don't you judge me. Well, I'm going to. (laughs) Sorry. The word judge simply means to make a determination. That's all it is. Now, can I judge your heart? No, I cannot. I cannot see your heart. I can't judge your heart. But if you're walking down the street with a red shirt on, I make a determination that you're wearing a red shirt. I judged. If I see you, and I have, if I see you in a restaurant with someone other than your husband or your wife, and it seems to be not a business lunch. <laughs> I make a determination. I don't make a determination that necessarily there's something going on, but I make a determination it sure don't look good. <laughs> you, you do know the Bible says to abstain from all appearances of evil. Somebody needed to hear that. To admonish someone is to warn or notify of a fault. Reprove them with mildness. There's a there's an account in Galatians, and I'm not going to ask you to turn, although we're in Galatians, chapter 2. Paul says this. Uh, I know it's in here somewhere. But when Cephas, everybody knows Cephas is Peter. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Now, these are brothers. These are fellow apostles. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Don't you judge me. 
For before certain people, he made a judgment, by the way. For before certain people came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Hey, man, let me get together and we'll eat some pork together. It doesn't say he was doing that. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. <laughs> the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw, Paul speaking, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Was not in step with the truth of the gospel. If you know a brother or a sister and they're doing something, living a certain way, and it's not in step with the gospel, the love of God in you commands you to hey. Now, again, you don't set yourself up and wag your finger. Man, I think you need to reconsider that. I'm not going to get into too much detail, but I talked to a person one time years ago. They were going to a particular place to do a certain thing. See, I can't tell you any more than that. reason is I can't remember it. No, I can, but I'm... <laughs> I'm not, and I said, I don't do this often, but I said, you're making a mistake. You're making a big mistake. And I really wish you would reconsider your decision and say no instead of saying yes to what you're going to do. And this person said to me, oh, I, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. The only thing I can tell you is that today that person wishes they would have listened to me. Now that I'm great, smart, I mean, it wasn't, didn't take much science to figure that out. It's how you approach people. It's how you, it's whether or not you have your speech seasoned with grace like salt. Colossians 4. But here's what's funny. Paul can, I'm going long. I guess y'all figured out by now not to put stuff in the oven. <laughs> Paul confronts Peter, he says, face to face. It's interesting that Peter never writes about that. And it's interesting that it doesn't appear in the book of Acts written by Luke. But he confronts him face to face. And so it had to be a little uncomfortable. Watch what Peter writes many years later. He said, and count the... Patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Somewhere between confrontation to face-to-face -to, -face to the writing of his second letter, Paul becomes our beloved brother. You know why? Because what Paul did was practically demonstrating God's love to Peter. And he knew it. 
He goes on to say this, and you'll find this interesting. As he does in all his letters, Paul's letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. Watch this. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. See, you're not alone. When you read Paul's writings, you're not alone. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. God's love. We dealt with this last week, not going to cover it much, but it was a demonstration of God's love when Aquila and Priscilla went to hear Apollos speak. And the Bible says that he spoke accurately, but he only knew the baptism of John. And the Bible says they took him aside and instructed him how to speak Everybody say more. More accurately. Accurately? More accurately. It was God's love and practically demonstrating his love that caused them to do that. Another part of, another part of practically demonstrating God's love is encouraging one another. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Encourage, verse 14 says, encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage those who are depressed. Encourage those who are discouraged. Encouragement is simply this, sharing your strength with other people. Sharing your strength with them because one day they're going to need to share their strength with you. It means by definition to come alongside to help. Come alongside someone to help. Now, this is all selfless. If you're not selfless, you're not going to do any of this stuff. You can say, you're on your own, kid. Thomas Watson, the old Puritan preacher, said in other races, many times one hinders another. But in the race to heaven, one Christian helps another. What is the fellowship of saints but one Christian helping forward another in the heavenly race? That's agape at work as we go through this Christian life. You're not going to make it through alone. You're not going to make it through this Christian life in victory by yourself without the help of brothers and sisters with you. And then, obviously, one of the ways we demonstrate God's love are issues of practical needs. A lot of people know John 3.16. Most of you in this room could probably quote it in various versions. I've always contended that we really need to make sure that not only do we know John 3.16, but that we know 1 John 3.16, which says this. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, he doesn't necessarily mean, although there are times when that occurs, it doesn't necessarily mean that you give up your life, that you die in their place, but it means that you, if you give up your life, that's a selfless act. You give up your comfort, you give up your convenience, you give up your, your goods. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, if anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Remember we read earlier, if I give the world my goods and I don't have agape, I'm still just making a bunch of noise. But extending God's love to a person because you care makes all the difference in the world. 
he finishes up, little children, let us not love in word or talk. When it's all said and done, I can tell you there's more said than done. But in deed and in truth. God's love is not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Once again, we see the standard here. Jesus laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for one another. And by that, he makes it clear. What, is, what does he mean by that? If you have goods and you see your brother or sister in need, make sure that you help them. Again, this is not uh, the promotion of irresponsibility. This is not uh, the justification of people doing nothing because bear one, bear one another's burdens and bear your own load. You have a personal responsibility. But there are times when when brothers and sisters need help from the body of Christ. And if you if you can help, you help. You say, well, I, I don't know if I want to t- turn loose of that thing. Well, then you don't, you're not practicing God's love. Make a decision. Make a choice. Lord help me. Lay down our lives. And what we do, we do as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And then he finishes up in verse 24 by saying, You are serving the Lord Christ. When you see someone, if you have the world's goods, you see someone in need and you give them those goods, you are not serving, you are serving that person, but first and foremost, you are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever, everybody say whatever. Whatever. How much do you think that covers? (laughs) I think that pretty well covers everything. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. You're not doing what you do for personal acclaim. You're not doing what you do to get a picture in the newspaper. You're not doing what you do to have people say, what a great guy, what a great lady. You're doing what you do because you're serving Christ. And when you serve Christ's people, you serve him. So how do I know that? Well, I'm not going to read, but Matthew 25, Jesus said, I was hungry. And you gave me food. I was thirsty. And you gave me drink. I was a stranger. And you welcomed me. I was naked. You brought me some clothes. I was sick. And you visited me. I was in prison. And you came to me. And he said, as you did it, they said, well, they said, we never did any of those things to you. We're, we're having memory lapse. We don't, we don't recall any of that stuff. And he said this, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Practical demonstration of God's love. And when you do that, you are, Jesus said, you're doing it to him. You're doing it to him. We Things like meals provided, you know, around here, 
uh, when when we have things like people sick, babies born, all this kind of thing. Uh, I'm, I've lost track of who's doing it now, but there's a thing called a meal something, meal train, meal time, I don't know. But you get an email, and you can click on that link, and you can sign up to take a meal to someone and uh, and help out. By the way, not enough of you are doing that. This is agape here, and this is God's love. This is God's love speaking. We need more of you to click on the link and fix something. Or order something. That's even better. And by the way, let me just say this. Now, I haven't looked lately at the list of who signed up to send meals, so don't anybody get offended. But by and large... By and large, it's mostly our older ladies. (laughs) Just in case. And you have to figure out what older is, because I don't know. Again, that's not in my notes. (laughs) But it should be. Meals provide, you know, and projects completed. We, not long ago, some guys came over to my house and helped me almost finish a project. <laughs> they intended to finish it, but we ran out of boards. But just, I didn't ask for it, but here they come. And finished up my, a little project and it, it sure helped me a lot. I was doing two or three boards a, a day and I was only doing it one day a week and about to kill me. And you've had that happen. I know some of you had decks built or you had your lawns mowed. You had people show up at your house and just do things for you. Practical things, practical needs. Some of you have have taken care of others' children. Got issues, got schedule problems. Somebody's sick, somebody can't, and you go grab their kids and you take care of them for a day or half a day. People during sickness, you know. Again, once again, I can't. I hate to use myself as an example, but I, I was sick one day. <laughs> it was really more than more than a day, but. Uh, I don't remember much of it, so I'll say I was sick for a day. And all kind of people brought stuff. I got home from the hospital two weeks later, and there was all kind of stuff in our refrigerator. I said, where'd that come from? I don't know. People just kept bringing stuff. And for months, we still had stuff in our refrigerator that people had brought. People came over, and I mean, it, it just, it never stopped. That's, that's agape. That's a practical demonstration of God's love. And obviously, there's also the matter of financial help. Sometimes people just need a buck. They need, you know, they got, they just need a little money or maybe a lot of money. You know, and, and we find an opportunity. Now, the church always tries to help people, but I'll tell you what, you're not going to get blessed by what the church does. You're going to get blessed by what you do. Now, it's good. you get blessed in the sense that you gave your tithes and offerings and it was used for that, but you really want to get blessed. Don't wait on the church. You do it. And then we'll both do it. How about that? Financial help. Once again, not a license for financial irresponsibility, not a license to, to depend on somebody else and you, you renege on your duties. No. But sometimes you just need help. You just need a hand. Financial help. It was a known fact, and I'm finishing up, so don't get nervous. The restaurants won't still be there. It's a known fact that in those days, the surrounding pagan people of that day, there's several 
accounts of this from different uh, people who lived in those days. That the pagans of that day, this is what they would say about the Christians of, of the early Christians. They would say, see how they love one another. They are ready to lay down their lives for each other. Now, see, they didn't see somebody just saying, hey, man, I love you. You're my brother. I love you. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's nothing to see there. What they saw was they're ready to lay down their lives. They're ready to be selfless. They're ready to extend themselves beyond themselves and practically demonstrate that agape. See how they love one another. It was a, it was a known thing among the pagans of that day, which makes me wonder how long they stayed pagans. Once they saw that, would, would that the world and its occupants were able to make that kind of a proclamation about today's followers of Jesus Christ. Well, we can't do anything about anybody. You can't do anything about anybody except the person sitting in that blue chair where you are. That's the only one that can do anything about it. You can help someone, but you can, you're the only one that can respond. You're the only one that can make a determination. I'm going to, I'm going to practically demonstrate the agape of God to my brothers and sisters if it kills me. I hope it doesn't. Well, I hope it kills your flesh. Stand with me.